0: This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by audible.com offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com trekfm. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club, it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. And in the spirit of an enlightened future, TrekFan is absolutely free. Not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM.
1: Call a standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take
0: I sir. You will obey. It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, I'm the TUS editor for the network, and with me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey Mike.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Doing good, doing good. Excited to talk about today's subject, yes. which is a Star Trek reboot. Not the one you're thinking of.
1: This is one well, it that Well, could be never the one you're happened. thinking of.
0: This is Yes, but this is one that never happened. Um, Mike, you... you Approached with
1: this, you found this this pitch. You want to introduce it? Sure. Um, you know, back in the early to mid aughts, when Enterprise's ratings were in sort of like a, a free fall, and uh, everyone was talking about franchise fatigue. You know, Nemesis did terribly at the box office, and everything like that. There was a question of, you know, what do you do with Star Trek? And there were a lot of people who made a lot of pitches. You know, um, Brian Singer and uh, Robert Meyer Burnett did a pitch. You know about called I think it was called S- Star Trek Federation, where it looked at you know sort of like a federation, like a thousand years in the future, where it had basically become like the Roman Empire. You know, and it was just so big that it was like killing itself. And then and then there is you know obviously JJ's pitch, which is the one that they they took. And there was this pitch, which was done before Enterprise had actually even um, left the air, but I think the writing was on the wall at this point in 2004, by J. Michael Straczynski and Bryce Zabel. Um, for those people who don't know, J. Michael Straczynski is the guy who did Babylon 5. He was also the co-writer on Thor, the the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, he wrote The Changeling, not... That Changeling, oh, but the, the other changeling the you Clint brought Eastwood up, movie. my
0: ears perked up. And I was
1: like, Wait, what? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, Bryce Zabel is a guy who has written a bunch of television as well. Um, most notably for me, he did Dark Skies, Lois and Clark. Oh, sorry, did he, did he work on Lois and Clark too?
0: Yeah, yeah
1: that's what it, it says okay. at the, on the bio at the end. Well, Lois and Clark, I'm glad you bring up Lois and Clark, because I've been bringing it up a lot lately, and uh, it makes me happy. Anyway, um, yeah. Lois he... and
0: Clark in general, or bringing it up makes you happy?
1: Both. Both. <laughs> because it, it came up like two or three times in the past week on my other shows, and every time I bring it up, Max is like, don't talk about that show. Don't talk Aww. about it. It's I'll terrible. let
0: talk about it with you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>
1: But uh, yes, he did that. He did dark skies. He did the crow. Um, but dark skies—I don't know if you saw that show. I didn't. It was—it was a total X Files ripoff. You know, it came out at that time, and it was sort of like let's do the X Files, but let's do it in the '60s, and like each episode like involved like some sort of historic moment or figure.
0: You know, mm-hmm. like at
1: one point they had Jim Morrison on there and and everything like that. And the idea was to sort of like, it was going to be like a five season long thing. And each season was going to take place over the span of like five years or whatever. So that basically it would catch up to the present day by the end of the show. Huh. But it got canceled after one season. Well,
0: yeah, that happens.
1: Yeah. Dark Skies was also the show which introduced Jerry Ryan to, well, me anyway. And I think probably most really? people. Really? Who were watching it? It came like the year before Voyager, and she showed up on the show. And I'm like, "Wow, that's weird!" Like, like just when she came on, it was like that. That's a weird because she, it, her character on that show is really interesting, and in that she's kind of introduced as like the villain, and essentially becomes like a protagonist by the end. But, um, but it, it's it's cool. It's a cool show, and I know they just released it on on DVD a few years back. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. But anyway, enough about dark skies. These are the people who were ma- who were pitching this thing. J. Michael Straczynski and Bryce Zabel teamed up to pitch Star Trek, and basically their pitch was to reboot the original series.
0: Yes, I like I like the the analogies that they used. Have you ever made a copy of a copy of a copy to the point where, after enough iterations, the blurry words look like they were written on a 1947 Olympia typewriter with a bad ribbon?
1: Yeah, they're writers.
0: Over the decades, Star Trek has been become so insular, so strictly defined, and placed so many layers upon itself that some of the essence of what made us love it in the first place has been lost. It's like they're they're really excited. I re- I got excited reading this pitch,
1: and yeah, me too. It,
0: it makes me want to be able to read the the JJ pitch to see if it was as exciting. Yeah. And not just like, you know, because people imagine it, it was probably just like, what if we made Star Trek more like Star Wars? A thing, <laughs> a treatment by J.J. J. Abrams.
1: <laughs> right. I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. And you can tell that this does sort of read like a pitch. You know, there's a lot of stuff in here where it's like, uh, okay, you've said the same thing. How many times have you said the word reboot? You know? in this 14-page document. But, uh, you know, I guess that's sort of what you're doing. You're sort of trying to hit it's these It's subtitled
0: concepts. Reboot the
1: Universe yeah. with the
0: subtitle of re- Reimagining the First Five-Year Mission.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I guess that's sort of what, what they do. I hope that that
0: wasn't just a clever pitch name. I hope that, that that was going to be the title of the series. It would have been a lot less confusing than calling it Star Trek, like the 2009 movie. It would just be called Reboot the Universe.
1: I don't think so, because here, you know, where they talk about how it's going to be a reboot, and they're like, here, look, everything that's come before is going to be in what they call Universe A. And now we're going to have Universe B. And they say, what we propose today is Universe B, the unshackling of all the pent-up talent and ideas that are precluded from expression by virtue of what has gone on before. This universe begins again in 2004 as simply Star Trek. So they were okay. going to call it Star Trek, which is better than and calling kinda it. Kind of like
0: Battlestar Galactica. They would, we would have put the year in parentheses.
1: Right. And I think that's the other thing to keep in mind, uh, which I didn't think of until like halfway through this thing, which is this pitch was done the year after Battlestar Galactica debuted. Mm-hmm. So they're basically saying, like at one point when they're talking about the characters and they're like, Kirk Spock McCoy, obviously, that's it. And then we're gonna have all the others and we're gonna try to use as many characters from the original series as possible, but we'll create new ones if we have to. And they're like, We can change things. Like, what if Scotty's a woman? Yeah, that is very battle starry. Yeah.
0: Like but to be fair, look how well that worked.
1: Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I'm like, yeah, I could totally see Scotty as a woman. That would that would be that would work fine, you know? That'd be cool.
0: I like their arguments of why go back to them. Uh, I I really like this one. Let's face facts. When they wanted to make feature film versions of The Fugitive and The Brady Bunch, they didn't tell stories about Richard Kimball's brother or that couple that lived across the street from the Bradys. Yeah. (laughs) They
1: stayed with what worked, with the core characters. Well, it's true. And, you know, I mean, that's sort of the thing. And, And the reason why I think doing a reboot makes a lot of sense, because part of what makes Star Trek Star Trek is the characters. And while you can create new characters and still set it in this world, and you can still tell stories in this world, I think there's a a lot of people who the reason why they like Star Trek is not because of all of the crazy you know stories and mythology and everything. It's because of the dynamic between these three characters. And getting back to that dynamic is a, a worthy thing to do. Just like. It's just as worthy as saying, like, I want to do something in the Star Trek universe because look at what Star Trek has to offer. You know, it's like, well, I want to do something in the Star Trek universe because I want to play with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And what they're saying about, you know, the brother or the the people living across the street, it makes sense. I mean, like Batman, you know, when you go see a Batman movie, you're going to see it because of Batman. You're not going to see it because, you know, Gotham City is such a cool place. Well, sometimes you are. But well, I mean uh, you know that would be like making a TV
0: series where Batman's a 10-year-old boy and the series focuses on commissioner go wait a minute
1: but to be fair commissioner gordon is a, a pretty much just as interesting a, as batman so
0: it's true I'm excited for Gotham
1: yeah but um but yeah you know I mean to 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 make it about you know to do batman beyond I mean I was never really that excited about batman beyond even though you know, I like the people involved with it and everything. So there is there is some logic to that. Like they say here, there's a reason Star Trek classic worked. Not only did it convey a spirit of adventure, of optimism, of genuine heroism, the characters it utilized could not possibly be more iconic. They are classic archetypal characters. The warrior, the priest, the doctor, Kirk, Spock, McCoy. So, I mean, right there, it, it shows in this pitch that they have an understanding of the franchise and what makes it work and they're not going to just do something crazy and be like what if we did star trek but on earth what if we did star <laughs> trek but you know with with more explosions or whatever wouldn't that be cool and and giant robots they're they're like look we know <laughs> what if the enterprise was a transformer <laughs> right exactly they're like look we know what star trek is and what we want to do is get back to what it was when it started. And that's that's an interesting idea. And the other thing about it, which is really cool to me, the thing that, that I really responded to was how they planned on updating it for modern times. You know? yeah, I mean, that's sort of like one of the things with, like, comic books or Batman or whatever. You know, I mean, you, you look at... Uh, well... Let's say even even the original the original concept of Batman, you know, and 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 uh, the case of the crime syndicate I think was the name of the first story that appeared in, in that issue or whatever, and you read it and it's like comic books at that point in time were obviously written solely for kids. It's very you know sort of jokey and winky, and and you know Batman does flat out kill people, you know, and (laughs) drop people off of ledges or whatever. And then then they're like, oh, my God, that guy just died. He's like, well, you know, he kind of had it coming. Kind of deserved that. (laughs) You know, he walked around with a couple guns shooting people and and stuff like that. And it's like the character has evolved over time to become something, you know, more interesting. And part of that is that storytelling has evolved to become something more interesting. Comic book Mm -hmm. storytelling So, you know, now when you do an origin story, you get things like Year One or whatever, which is way better than the case of the crime syndicate. And the same thing is true with television, you know, partially because of technology. You know, just the fact that now everyone has Netflix or whatever. I was just reading an article the other day about how showrunners are having to change the way that they structure their series because of binge watching, you know. There was no such thing as binge-watching back in 1966, so you needed to have every episode be very self-contained and, you know, essentially make it an anthology with standing sets like they always talked about. Whereas now, you can have a continuing storyline. You can have, you know, a plan and and everything and go into it and do these things, and, and that's what they were going to do.
0: You don't have to have flashbacks at the beginning of each episode previously on such and such because people are going to be watching it all in a row.
1: Right. So with this concept, they were going to have the first five-year mission, and they had planned it as being like a five-year series. Which I really like. Yeah, me too. With a beginning, a middle, and an end, they said. And while each episode would stand alone and tell its own story, there would be a mythology, very similar to say the X-Files, you know, which
0: they actually spell out. Yeah. They actually say it's just like, just like the mythology episodes in Mm X-Files. Like, Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And there was going to be a continuing storyline surrounding a mystery, which when I first heard that, I'm like, does there really need to be a mystery in in Star Trek? But then when, but then when they started explaining it and explaining the concept behind it and, Maybe, you know, doing that thing of sort of, like, reverse engineering, like, the reasons behind the doomsday concept. Machine. Well, Doomsday Machine, but just the concept on the whole, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, that, that is kind of interesting. That's an interesting take on it. That's an interesting way to make this this thing that maybe didn't work back in 1966, for whatever reason, work better in 2004, it seems like they tried to, okay, we've got the five years, we've got, you know,
0: the arcs that we can last whole seasons, but it's not just that. They actually wanted to bring in, to not have just a writer's room, but to buy short stories from science fiction authors.
1: Yeah. And they they, they talk about that here. They actually give examples, not of stories, but of authors. So, like, who, who are they talking about, just as examples?
0: Now... Reading this sentence just makes me super excited about this about this pitch. Now imagine a new Star Trek calling upon the talents of writers like Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, Ray Bradbury, Dean Koontz, Michael Crichton, Anne Rice, Kurt Vonnegut, Anne McCaffrey, and others. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine like
1: Michael Crichton penned Star Trek episodes? It would be weird. Be like, it would be really weird. It would be like dinosaurs and everything. Oh, Not, ha- not ha- as weird as... He'd have to well, do the Gorn episode, right? That's true. Yeah. not It's it's not as weird as an Anne Rice penned episode, I have to no, say. No,
0: or a Stephen King penned, or a Neil Gaiman penned, or a Dink... Well, really, this is a really weird, weird set of writers, but... uh,
1: <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of strange that they would pick those people, but... You know, it it is, I mean, the idea behind it didn't even seem like, you know, like, we'll have Neil Gaiman come in and do a pitch. You know, they're like, Neil Gaiman's written a ton of good sci-fi stories, and we will adapt them for the Star Trek universe, which to me is really weird. And they're like, they did that on the original series, and they, like, list all these things. And, like, the only time that they actually did that was with Arena, which they, they do reference, you know, Frederick Brown or whatever, and as we've learned that wasn't even meant to be an adaptation that was just like right. oh i read this <laughs> story and forgot about it my bad <laughs> but still it's an interesting idea and and they talk about like breaking it down in terms of a, a season or whatever and having yes you know they they say like the the first episode the pilot would be like a 2 hour episode in which kirk and bones know each other and then they meet spock And begin their mission. Mm -hmm. And then they said that they would have, you know, like a a typical season would break down where you'd have like four or five mythology episodes, four or five episodes based on, you know, stories or whatever from famous people. And then four or five episodes, which are uh, new and four or five, which are from uh, like basically adaptations of original series episodes.
0: Like the JJ comics. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the finale would be, you know, obviously a big mythology-based episode, which would drop a clue on their journey or whatever. Now, do we want to talk about the what that, that mythology was going to be about? Because it yes, is interesting.
0: Because we, we've covered most of the things that I like about the pitch. But, yeah, the, the mythology thing, I'm not 100% on... And it's about,
1: if you ask me, it's basically taking the concept of the chase from Next Generation and spreading that out over five years. The idea is, like we were saying, there's a mystery, you know, and, and what is it? And and one of the things that they talk about is like, okay, you've got the youngest captain in Starfleet on the flagship of the Federation and their five year mission, you know to explore strange new worlds and seek out new civil civilizations to basically just go where no one has gone before you know he's like they they' they're saying like that's kind of weird, just like go start flying that way and see what you hit, you know, yeah, and what they were saying was, okay, what if there's a mission which is so important that you know they can't even tell the crew about it and you know the the mission is basically that there is a super race or something like that, which basically spread their DNA throughout the galaxy and uh, sort of unites all of the humanoid species in, in the galaxy. And, you know, they're looking for it. The Vulcans, the Klingons, you know, all those dudes are looking for it. And, you know, it's sort of like trying to figure out your origins, trying to figure out who who created you and why. I mean, it's, it seems, sounds very similar to the chase, but, mm-hmm. but doing that over the span of five years. And to me, I think that sounds cool because it does explain why everyone is a humanoid and how, why everyone is so similar and, and stuff like that. I, I don't care. I like the idea of a, of a
0: mystery of, you know, a five years worth of stories. One one giant five year mission with a bunch of smaller missions in between, and with the with the ancient race, one of the things they suggest is maybe the doomsday machine was left over from this ancient race, and I do like that you know tying into all the ancient races that they run into, maybe giving them a clue towards something, but just everybody you know codes buried within alien DNA and stuff it's I don't know, and the problem is that like it's been done, it, like, uh, Stargate does this. There's, there's a whole race to find the ancients and ancient technology and, you know, the people who spread life throughout our galaxy. And it and by 2004, they'd already covered all this stuff. I mean, not. I'm pretty sure that this new Star Trek would have done it better. Stargate's fun, but it's not, I don't think that it would have been, Stargate wouldn't have been as deep as this probably would have gone. And I don't like that the the prime directive, there would still be a... They they specifically mentioned this. There would still be a prime directive, but it wouldn't be about non-interference. It would be the prime directive is do whatever's necessary to find out more about this race. Mm -hmm. Which kind of seems like the opposite. It's kind of Janeway's prime directive. Do whatever's necessary to get home. But it's do whatever's necessary to find out about whatever's necessary. That's the opposite of the prime directive. The prime directive is like, look, we can't interfere with these things even if they were able to help us. You know we can't we can't help them because they're not ready for it yet, but this is just like whatever's necessary. I'm sure they would have refined it before the series went to air, but sounds just like, oh, these guys have something we need in order to find out or something that may." Hold a key to something. Let's invade, blow them up, and then find out that they
1: don't have it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I don't know. Like, to me, I think one of the only reasons why people treat the Prime Directive, by people I mean fans, treat the Prime Directive with with such seriousness is because it's called the Prime Directive. (laughs) Because, like, you don't really see, you know, those same fans having, you know, watching other science fiction or whatever and where where there is a clear violation of the prime directive. It's just that there isn't a prime directive. And, you know, they're not like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Look at what they're doing. The moral implications of that are, are, are horrendous. And on the original series, especially, they're violating the prime directive left and right. And they're just like, whatever, yeah. whatever, <laughs> you know. So, like, to me, in some ways, getting rid of the Prime Directive wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do. I don't know. That doesn't seem, like, to me, that doesn't break Star Trek by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Right. It. It's true. Not like Star Trek is defined by the Prime Directive.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But it's something I've always, I've liked the Prime Directive. I've liked the idea of, yeah, I you like... know, not running around and being like, hey, we're awesome, and we go to a new planet like Kirk does all the time and says, we're awesome and you're not. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes like the spinoffs
1: somewhat unique. I, mean, I, I like the idea of it, too, but I just don't think that it's necessary.
0: And overall, this plot sounds like what Star Trek V should have been cyborg following problem is with star trek 5 we come in at the end of it cyborg's like i totally figured out where you know god and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's like i followed all these clues what clues so it might have just led to them going to the center of the universe <laughs> and finding an
1: alien that's the who big, needs a starship the, that would have been the big reveal an alley at the end is yeah is, is a is an adaptation of star trek 5 well, that'd be cool yes yeah. But Well, the greatest science fiction writer of our
0: generations. David William Lowry. Shatner.
1: Oh, yeah, him too. I was thinking David uh, Lowry uh, who did, you know, like View Terrace and stuff. Nurse three D.
0: No, I was thinking Star Trek V with by Shatner.
1: You know, we're we're oh, adapting man. classic books. And and you know you know what you would do is when you get there and, and there's you know, you find uh, God on the planet and everything. You know you get to play God?
0: <laughs> yes!
1: William Shatner.
0: Oh. oh it would man. have ended in like 2009,
1: 2010? Yeah. Yeah, probably 2010. That'd be perfect. <laughs> that would be perfect. Oh, come on. Tell me. Oh. Hey, you wouldn't go see that. You could get Rock Monsters in there, no problem. Oh, yeah. You know? After
0: five years of an insanely popular TV show?
1: Yeah. Oh, man, now they need to do this. Star Trek (laughs) continues. Hey, guys. Come on. Let's get on this. Here's your pitch. Go. Mm Mm-hmm. Shatner will let you take his picture for, like, $80, right? So just, I mean, all you need is his head, right? Right. There's
0: enough dialogue of him over the last 50 years that you'd be able to make him say whatever you want.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It could totally
1: work. Oh, man, that would be awesome.
0: What a Another thing I really like about it is that part of the the last part of the pitch before they talk about themselves is how public relations can mine this, including offering them the search for Spock pun when they're <laughs> doing casting.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I guess that's sort of the nature of of a pitch, right? I mean, you're you're talking to a suit. You know, have you ever seen the player? No. Oh, it's awesome. I I believe... I was watching it the other day because they showed it at the University of Chicago. I am 99.9% sure that it is the movie or TV show with the most Star Trek actors in it, which is not an episode of Star Trek, obviously. (laughs) Like, René Arbourgenois is in there um kai win is in there everyone everyone who's ever been in anything is in there because it's got everyone in it just uh, jeffrey combs jeffrey combs is not in there unfortunately but um so close yeah but everyone else is and that, that 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 movie which is one of the best movies ever made you know it's it's about like a guy and he's like a studio executive and like So people are pitching him ideas and everything like that. Dean Stockwell's in there. And um, it's hilarious, you know? And, and you feel so bad for these writers because they, they've got like an idea and they're trying to get it across. And this guy's like, who plays who plays the star you know who who's the star in this you know who i i see julia roberts yeah yeah julia roberts she'd be good she'd be good you know and it's like the whole time they're like no 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 stars no no stars at all bruce willis okay bruce willis i could we could see bruce willis that would be fine you know so like yeah you totally you're you're pitching someone you totally got to put that stuff in because that's all they care about they're going to be like yeah yeah star trek yeah Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. Ooh, ooh, the search for Spock. Ready
0: made puns. I I like that.
1: I like it. You know, who do you see as Spock? Bruce Willis. One last thing that I I was kind of curious about while reading this pitch is, you know, when they were talking about how, like, everyone is connected and explaining, like, the shared, you know, origins and everything like that throughout the galaxy, one of the things that they did mention was, like, If you need a holodeck to tell stories on a a science fiction show where you're going to the ends of the universe or whatever, then you've got a problem. Because why would you want to bring this back to, you know, what? that doesn't make any sense. Which I can kind of see, but at the same time, I kind of don't see. And which, you know, was a way of doing what the original series did, you know, which is to say, like, here's the gangster planet, you know? (laughs) And everything like that. But in thinking about that, all of that stuff together, I was thinking, like, would they do something like a piece of the action? Would that make sense in their new universe?
0: As long as the book, you know, Chicago Mobs of the 20s, there's only one copy of it in existence in the universe, and whoever digitized it originally didn't have, like, the last page, which contains some kind of number. Because it was just random numbers. Oh, the random numbers are key so they've got to go down there and follow the Prime Directive in not, you know, just going down and stealing it, but, you know, stealing it in character. Maybe. Maybe there'd be Fizbin in this new universe. I,
1: I, I never, I mean, like, in talking about that, like, random numbers or whatever, I I didn't get the impression that that's what they were talking about. Like, I think I think they were talking about more sort of like dna and stuff like that you know just like
0: maybe maybe something maybe something like their dna whoever wrote the book was compelled to write something i don't know
1: like to me if they were to do a piece of the action they wouldn't do like oh look at this there was a a source of contamination or whatever it would be like we're going down to this planet and this is just like earth was in the 30s that's really weird why oh well it's a kind of an offshoot society from ours and that's you know crazy that you know the, the parallels you know are, are like that but maybe that lends credence to this idea of a you know super race you know spreading mm-hmm. their seed throughout the galaxy you know
0: it explains things better than miri when it's just like here's a here's a planet just like earth i mean it's even got our continents and stuff <laughs> huh
1: Yeah. And then they
0: don't ever mention it again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, but it would make sense, like, you know, if everything had some common thread in their DNA, maybe they would have made societies just like Earth. Yeah. I don't think they would have made the continents exactly the same, but that's not important right now.
1: (laughs) So on the whole, did you like this pitch?
0: I would have been very interested in this show, especially at the time, 2004, 2005, I think would have been the perfect time. Everybody was doing reboots. I like the idea of the having it be five years and having that planned out, which I understood is what he tried to do for Babylon 5.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: Babylon 5 is the one where he had five years worth of stuff, they only gave him four years, and then they renewed it for a fifth year? Something like that?
1: Something like that, yeah. He, it ended up being five years. The but end. they thought they only had four years, so they finished the plot, and then they were like, no, no, keep
0: going. He's like, I don't have anything, so they just made up stuff. <laughs> I'm sure it's more technical than that, but that, that's what I... I hope that that wouldn't have happened with this.
1: Yeah, I mean... But it probably would have. I guess, like, to me... Because at, it would have at been that Paramount. Point...
0: It would have been on UPN, or CW by 2005, I guess.
1: I mean, at that point in time, like, Star Trek had been on the air continuously for 16 seasons, and the idea of saying, like, look, it's a Star Trek show, it's going to last five years, you know, I think they they would have been reasonably certain that they could have gotten five years out of it, you know? So you could have said that about Enterprise. Uh, yeah, it's true,
0: so. <laughs> and this would have been, this would have had have been on UPN, too, so it would have been yeah. in the exact same boat as, as Enterprise.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Had they been able to pitch this to something like sci-fi, can you imagine the back-to-back Battlestar Galactica Star Trek? Oh, yeah, that'd be crazy. Like that'd, the, be, that'd be the awesome. Like the must-see TV? They would have dominated the ratings. Everything, the world would be a completely different place.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was talking to this guy yesterday, this, this uh, 16-year-old kid, and he's like, Hey, Mike, um, which should I watch? Star Trek? Star Wars? Or Battlestar Galactica. I'm like, you haven't seen any of them? And he's like, well, I've seen some Star Wars. I'm like, which ones? And he's like, the first three. And I'm like, what do you mean which by that? Which the first three? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, episodes one, two, and three. And I'm like, okay. Can you imagine that, though? I mean, like, like he can do that. He can be like, there, I can watch Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek back to back. And it's brand new to me. Yeah, that's...
0: Man... Yeah. Completely, it's already a completely different world from when we were kids. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. I, I wish I could do that. But
0: yeah, there are times I wish I could, like, wipe my memory and just see something for the first time
1: again. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Then I probably wouldn't like it. Then...
1: Oh, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, that's the. <laughs> Wait, purpose. why am
0: I. What am I doing on this podcast? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I'm talking about that show? What?
1: <laughs> so, So you like the idea
0: on the whole. I, I like the idea. On the whole, I think that I think that most of my qualms would have been put to rest rather quickly with the uh, once the show got rolling.
1: Yeah, I, I like the because really
0: we're talking about a few paragraphs about like what if there was an ancient race out there that seeded us and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure that there it would have been, and they just talk about clues. They don't talk about what kind of clues.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I, sure
0: it would have been great.
1: Yeah, me too. I I, I would have loved this idea as well. Um, like, if I would have read this pitch back in 2004 and I was a studio exec, I'd be like, done. Let's do this. Let's do this right now. Enterprise, you canceled. I'm sorry. Bye. <laughs> Let's go. You know? This isn't working. Wait, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, that would have confused the viewing audience. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. I thought this was a prequel series. I thought, wait, now Enterprise is not leading into this? Nope. <laughs> Different universe. Wait, what?
1: Yeah. And and I do like the idea, you know, I mean, as much as I love the what they did with the the J.J. movies and, and ultimately, like, if I had a choice, I would choose the way that they did it with the J.J. movies. From a creative standpoint, I can totally see why uh, it, it would be preferable to some to... Completely reboot it and just be like, look, we're starting over because then you wouldn't run into issues like us saying like, well, how come they're going to the same planet and they're having a plague and it's 12 years earlier in the Galileo 7 or whatever? You know, you you don't run into that problem if it's just a reboot. It's just like, look, we're telling the story again, but different because why not? You know, and uh, there's something to that for sure. Being a Star Trek fan and loving the continuity, I like what they did in the J.J. universe. Yes. So but but at the same time, you know, I can see why a writer would want to start fresh. And, and it, I, I would not blame them at all for doing that. In some ways, I think that would be the better option. I agree. Well, it's fun talking about Star Trek, reboot the universe. But
0: that's not the only Trek topic we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM Standard Orbit
1: I mean, to be fair, the commissioner has a point. You know, he's talking about how I think it's millions of lives are in jeopardy because they need to get this vaccine to them. And Kirk is like, this is a pretty crazy looking nebula. We should probably take a look at that thing. Earl Grey Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the Enterprise! The <laughs> Enterprise! The Orb.
0: It's never clear, like, is Costamojan is that the name of a person from long ago? Or is it the name of a group of people? And so you're saying that in the Prophet's language, Mojan is the name of the Paw Race. Right, that's what they call the Paw Race. The Ready Room. John Piller did a great idea. He was 23 years old when he wrote this episode. He solved a problem that the other writers had been struggling with for years. To the journey! Think about how horrible it would be perceived by the audience to see Neelix beaten up ruthlessly. Some people would really enjoy that. That's true. I'm talking about normal people with hearts and souls. Okay, so
1: those <laughs> people... Warp 5. You know, Spock and Tuvok are two Vulcans and so I feel like if you brought 10 more into the room to say that they're all going to be the same is really a boring race commentary Trek stars
0: this means that really now sort of the, the three of us are responsible for really getting the movie to, to, to what it's going to be and, and there's everything okay What the movie we write is the movie that's going to get made which is a really cool feeling actually continuing mission I wanted to tell a small story about people uh, I just felt like Let's let's talk about the people. Let's give the people a personality. Let's create a three-dimensional character. Melodic treks. But Jay, when JJ Abrams came on, he was like just in like casual <laughs> T shirt and jeans. T-shirt and yeah, and because he'd just come from the set of Wars. Yeah. Literary treks. What happened to all of the artificial intelligences? Where'd they go? Seventy years had gone by. I think by. Kirk killed them all. He talked them he all to death. Yeah, he yeah. had talked he them talked
1: all to death. Them
0: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. If you'd like to contact us, pitch us yet another reboot of Star Trek or whatever you want, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone, and you can talk to us and our listeners on our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com
1: slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username, trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? You can find me right here on trek.fm doing commentary, Trek stars, and you can also find me on... CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do commentary track stars off-topic. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at
0: 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And you can find me guesting on various other shows around the network. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsors, who help us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. One of the sponsors for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone?
1: Well, I have a book about William Shatner returning to the Star Trek universe. It's called Star Trek The Return. How surprising. And it's written by William Shatner and narrated by William Shatner. And the description says, Legends never die. Old friends are reunited and ancient secrets revealed as Kirk, Spock, Picard, Riker, Data, and all of the Federation's best and brightest are enmeshed in a cosmic saga that will test their strengths and loyalties to the very limit. A personal tale of tragedy and triumph that only... Could have been written and read by William Shatner. Although, I'm kind of guessing that if they needed to, maybe Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens could have written it as well. I'm just going to think. Probably. Maybe. Maybe But Shatner could could have read it. Had to have read it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They couldn't read it, though. But you can get this for free on Audible since you're a a listener to uh, FM. That's right.
0: As a listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial, just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and TrekFM. And also, we're sponsored by TrekFan, a great way for you to take your love of Star Trek and put it into action. At TrekFan, you will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Challenges include communications, engineering, and flight operations. There's internet relay chat, free books through Starfleet Academy, and much more. Best of all, it's absolutely free. Not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. Again, that's fm.trekfan.org. And remember to use this special URL so I know you heard about it here on Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Yeah. Like I always love talking the theoretical series is we need to find some more p- movie pitches and stuff. I know that there's plenty out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. If, if anyone knows of any, uh, let, us, let us know because we would definitely like to, to see them.
0: It's cool. It's fun dreaming about possibilities. Yes.
1: As Spock said, there
0: are always possibilities. <laughs> Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry.
1: Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead. Walk factor one. I sir.